0: As we start thinking this morning about the shift from seen to unseen, I have to begin with the confession that this is the hardest shift for me to talk about. It is so abstract. Uh, and I know most of us in the room like things to be practical and simple, and it's just not that simple. Every time I talk about it around the house, my wife thinks I have a low blood sugar. so. <laughs> So I said to the first hour, if I get halfway through this and it starts to feel to you like this is too ethereal or abstract, just somebody hand me a donut and we'll get right back to it, man. We'll be okay. I'll try to keep this as practical as I can, but we have some ground to cover. This is, as I said, the most abstract shift, but if we can get this down... It will make every other change in our lives much easier. People that have learned to see the unseen give to things the importance they have in reality. So their entire value system is changed. because they know now what they will know then. And so they start living different today as if they were already living forever. People who make the shift from seen to unseen come into a worship service and they see things the rest of us do not see. And so while they sing the same songs and repeat the same creeds, they feel in their bones a reality that the rest of us simply do not feel. We can't. We're not that far along yet. But they see it now. And they know that these are not just words. These are not just beliefs. These are not affirmations. These things are more sure to them. In fact, they are more sure, period, than anything else in the room. And it changes the way that they worship. I was doing a funeral yesterday. And we got into a cold mausoleum. Which is where you go when it's too cold to be outside. And I remember saying... over Hazel Hines, who'd been in this church 62 years. And in the homily, someone said, um, boy, this is as close to a saint as I have seen. They were right. And I stood at that mausoleum and cited the words from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, it is written, I believe, and therefore I have spoken. With that same faith... We also believe, and therefore we speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us in his presence. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Outwardly, we're getting old. We're wasting away. But inwardly, we're getting younger. We're being renewed day after day after day. For our light and momentary troubles are accomplishing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen, say it, church, is eternal. There is a condition that physicians refer to every now and then as visual agnosia. In slang, that means half blind. A person with visual agnosia can look at something, but they can't detect what it is. There's a couple of reasons for this. One is perceptive. one is associative is what they say. I may look at this stool and recognize its exact shape, but there is nothing in my conscience that remembers what a stool looks like. So when I'm looking at it, even though I can define it, I can even draw it, I can't associate it with anything that I know, so I don't know what to call it, but I can describe it, I can see it. The other way is I know in my mind what stools look like, but when I look at this, this does not look like that. So I do not know what to call it, because even though I know what a stool is, this is not what I know, I have visual agnosia. This is a neurological disorder. This explains why you can open the drawer when your wife says, it's right there in the drawer, and you can look right at it and not see it, you have visual agnosia temporarily. You have a neurological disorder. You're not just a man, you have a neurological disorder. It's because when you open the drawer, you have in your mind the way something is supposed to look. And because it does not look that way, it isn't there. But you're looking right at it. You do not have an optical problem. You have a perception problem. Problem is not with your eyes. You're looking right at it. You can even draw it. The problem is with your perception. I was uh, going to see my mom uh, a couple weeks ago, and she's in Colonial Oak. She's almost 92, and these are not great days for her. She's uh, short on memory. Sometimes in a bad day, I'll I'll say, Mom, you could wrap your own Christmas presents, you know? Um, And on this day, she laughs about, relax, some of you are offended. You shouldn't say, she's my mother. We laugh about this. (laughs) She says she can hide her own Easter eggs. (laughs) On this day, I could tell it wasn't a real lucid day for her. And I said, "Uh, Mom, you don't know who I am, do you? She went, now give me a moment. No, Steve, I don't. I'm sorry. She said, I think I'm losing my mind, (laughs) I said, "I think you'll be fine. Now, I understand that if I was your son, you'd try to forget that as well, but more than likely what's happening there is she has a visual agnosia. She knows what I look like, but the person she's talking to does not look like that. And so she's not able to, it's not a problem with her eyes, it's a problem with her perception. There's a condition known as left or right side of blindness where a person with this neurological disorder will look at a plate and eat only half of it and leave the other half untouched and tell you they ate the entire plate. Because the side of their vision that is blind cannot even see that the other half still has food on it. Kids do this all the time with lima beans. They say, I ate the whole thing. It's left side of blindness, baby. for them, it's gone. Now, this is In real life, this is a real problem. You can look right at something and you can only see half of it and swear up and down that you have seen the whole thing. When we talk about the shift from seen to unseen, we are not talking about seeing things that are not there. We're not talking about simply believing in things that you cannot see. We're talking about seeing all that is there, not just half of it. I'll put it like this. Neurologically, we know that at any given moment, your mind, your eyes, are taking in hundreds of thousands of bits of information. Every change in the climate, every movement that is in your peripheral vision, every change in the temperature, your body, your mind is taking notes on this. The reason that you don't go through life scatterbrained is because all the while you're taking in hundreds of thousands of bits of information, your mind also knows how to filter most of it out. That's why you can navigate in distracting situations because your mind is automatically, unconsciously filtering out hundreds of thousands of little facts Sorting that, rearranging it so you can stay focused on what you're supposed to stay focused on. So what you don't see is still there. You see it. You just don't perceive it because your mind has already filtered it out which raises the question, when you go into a meeting and it gets tense, when you go into a class and it goes south, when you're in the middle of a competition and the tension and the anger starts to rise, when you step into an argument and it starts to go off the rails, you probably only see a fraction of what is happening In that moment. Now you'll swear that you see it all. But you have a left side or a right side of blindness. You can look right at something and only see half of it. Which raises the question. Who taught you what to look for? Because ultimately you see what you look for. And you weren't born looking for it. You were taught that by a culture. Who taught you? And might it be possible to learn to see something else? Other stuff, which if you could see it, would radically change how you interpret that entire moment. You still with me? About 15 years ago, I was uh, having my devotions in John chapter 5. And this is what I read. Something like this. Jesus said, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life... So the Son gives life to whomever He is pleased to give it. Well, there's one for your Arminian camps. Listen to what He says. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who hears the voice of the Son of Man and believes Him has eternal life. He will not come under judgment because he has passed from death to life. Now listen to what he says. He says, I tell you, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear it will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so does the Son... Have life in himself. And the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son because he is the Son of God. You say, what? You just say. (laughs) It was in John 5. First, he just said eternal life is not something that comes later. You're in it right now. Second, he just said that heaven is not up and away. It's right next to your head. It's a dimension or a sphere or a realm of existence that runs alongside of the existence we are now in, but you cannot see it. Third, he says that this heaven, which is right next to your head, Is constantly imposing itself into the world that you do know. So even though half of what is happening in the room you cannot see, it is affecting the half that you do see. You just don't know it because you're half blind. This is how I began to read (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I mistitled it some time ago when I came up with the title. I thought, oh, this is a good idea, bad idea. I called it nearsighted because I was thinking to myself what Paul was saying is there are things that are temporary that are close by, and then there are things that are eternal which are out there in the future. You know, there's the material, and then there is the spiritual. There is the imminent, and then there is the transcendent. There are things human, and then there are things divine. Things visible, things invisible. I had it completely wrong. What Paul is saying is there are things temporary, and there are things eternal and both of them are smack dab in front of you at the same time. One of them is not any closer than the other and you are attuned to see only things that are temporary. You were raised and schooled and trained and like good students. You have learned to see the temporary. But he will say, fix your eyes on the thing that is right next to it. That is eternal because it is constantly injecting itself inside of things you call immediate. Truth of the matter is, the eternal is every bit as immediate, maybe more so, than that appointment you have tomorrow morning. That schedule tomorrow, that interruption this afternoon is infused with the eternal. You just don't know it. You still tracking? This is third service, I hope. Can I put my back to you and draw pictures? Okay, for those of you with simple minds, there, that's yours for the day, right there. All right, now, let me draw. Do you remember that conversation Jesus had with Thomas after the resurrection? Thomas said, unless I see his hands, but my, remember that conversation? And Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe. That made me think that there might be four different levels to this, thing we call seen to unseen, and it focuses on something like a pyramid. At the bottom of the pyramid are people that I think see something, and they do not believe it. Call them skeptics, atheists, agnostics, or just good conservative people with their assumptions already in place. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody you're trying to convince them, tell them all the reasons they should believe something and show them all the evidence and they just say, no, I just don't believe that. You're like, dude, I cannot make this more clear. It is right there. The problem is not your evidence. The problem is their assumptions. We are all at the mercy of our assumptions. We cannot go outside of the box of what we already think is important and what already has validity. We cannot suddenly move those assumptions. So that's a person down at the bottom who has a lot of hard dogmas and assumptions and they'll look right at something else and they'll they'll never believe it because it does not fit within their assumptions. Then there are people who see something and they do believe it, and this I think are like scientists, and some of you are, or scholars. They're looking for reason, for evidence. They want to codge an argument. They're not sure they can believe it or not until somebody presents a case. When I was a teenager, I was having all sorts of questions with religion. And this is a problem when your dad is the preacher and you're going to your Sunday school classes and you're going to church and you're asking devoutly religious people if they can answer these questions and and they're looking at you like you're an unbeliever. (laughs) You say, I don't... How do you even, even know if I'm an unbeliever yet? I'm not that far. I just, I mean, if it were not for people like Josh McGowell, and I know, I, I know some of you are like, uh, look, man, he was there for me. If I had not encountered C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity in my junior year of high school and realized when I read it for the first time, here is a mind to be reckoned with. Intellectually, he's nobody's boy. And he has come to rock-solid beliefs, albeit through his own bout with skepticism. And this is a person I need to... If it were not for Ravi Zacharias' Veritas lectures at Harvard University, which I listened to again and again and thought to myself, I don't know all that other stuff, but these people are arguing a cogent case for the faith that all those church people are singing about blithely every Sunday. There's something under it. Even if they don't know it, there's something under it. And they helped put my feet on something solid. So now that I could see it, I could understand it, I could start to put a little weight on it. Oh man, that was a beautiful moment for me. Then there are people who believe in what they cannot see. This is what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, Thomas, you were like the other disciples. They saw the resurrection and so they believed in it because they saw it. That's what you want. It would have been so much better, Thomas, if you just could have believed when you could not see then there are people who, because they believe it, they see it. Let me say it again. What they see, they're not making up. It's actually happening in real time. Coming from an eternal world others know nothing about. And it is affecting what is happening in that room. So what is necessary? And by the way, can I just point out for a moment, some of us, even in college church, I think in church, some of us live in this first level. And and we're really shy about this. There's a lot about our religion that we don't actually believe. We just know we're supposed to believe it. And so in church, we say we believe in stuff we cannot see. But in reality, we don't actually believe it. Because if we had to put weight on it or skin in the game, we would never do it. So we fake it as long as worship is going on. And then as soon as the benediction go back to our unbelief. And what happens is we live in a split world. Church, where I believe in a bunch of stuff I cannot see, and then my real life, where I don't actually believe most of it. If some of you are in this place, first own it, man. Don't fake it. Even in church, I know, it's a, I know. in church, unbelief is like a germ in an operating room. Everybody just, they're all over it. But you don't worry about that. It is better for you to be honest with yourself, because if nobody else gets it, God does. And tell other people around you, people with good, bright minds and sensitive hearts, I'm having a hard time believing a lot of the stuff I am supposed to believe. And God has just littered this congregation with beautiful people whose lives will influence you. But you have to be honest about those things. So what is necessary in the first stage is humility. You just have to be able to say, I don't know for sure. What's necessary in the second stage is reason. Oh, as I said, thank God for smart people who can articulate things and come to sound reason what I can't make sense of. Because they will give you something to stand on. What happens in the third stage is faith. I begin to believe in something because I was told it, not because I can see it. It's a different kind of authority. And what happens in the fourth stage Is discernment. Now with my faith deeply entrenched, I go into the same meetings, into the same worship services, into the same competitions, and I begin to see things that are actually there that I did not see before. And now with powers of discernment, I can tell you what is really happening, not just what everyone else sees. Are you still tracking? We're almost done. Hang on. I told you this was heavy. Anybody got a donut? A couple of observations. Notice that you you really have to uh, you really have to take the steps. You 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 cannot suddenly drop yourself in the middle of level three because you think you're supposed to be there. You just gotta say, dude, I'm not there. Hopefully I'll get there, but I'm not there yet. Second observation is, when you move from the lower half to the upper half, the game changes. What's key in the first two levels is proof. Did I just write proof? Yes. (laughs) Now listen, what's key in the top two levels is revelation. Paul said, it is written, I believe and therefore I've spoken. And with that same confidence, we also believe. And therefore, we speak. But people, there is nothing to believe unless something is revealed to you. But the moment God utters it, you latch on to it. Not because of your reason, but because of your loyalty to the one who said it some of us are high on intellect and low on loyalty such that when we enter a crisis and it challenges the things we believe in it's like God has to prove himself all over again he must wonder sometimes it's been 40 years Steve are we still here Am I really evidence and are you really a scientist? Or have you considered that if I even exist at all, (laughs) I may know things that you don't know because you are not in a position to know them. You just aren't. God love you. You just don't have all of the information. So at some point, you will have to believe what I said or not believe it. As long as I believe that the only eyes I have are in my head, I'm stuck in the lower half. But Paul said, my prayer for you is that the eyes of your heart will be opened. And when they are, oh man, that's a whole new faculty. And when they are, you will know the hope to which you were called. It's Ephesians, straight from Ephesians 1. You will know the glorious inheritance of all the saints. And get this, Steve, you'll start to value it. It won't just be religious jargon again. And you will know the power, the unsurpassing power that is at work in all of those, wait for it, who believe. That's what he said. All right. You still alive? I told you this was bad. Some years ago, I was um, pastoring a church in Michigan, about a couple hundred, 250 people, and I went through a crisis of faith. That's a bad thing when you're a pastor. I was having a, uh, I was having a theological problem. There were, suddenly, there were suddenly angles and questions that I was asking about faith that I could not answer. Much of them dealing with suffering. Leslie Weatherhead said the problem of pain can always be stated in ways for which there is no answer. It can always be stated in ways that there is no answer. I had a theological problem. I had an existential problem. I was in a church, and they were not acting like a church. And I had a personal problem. I was a preacher, and I couldn't for the life of me remember my faith. But you understand, people, when you're a preacher, you got to get up every Sunday and say it anyway. And talk like you believe it, even when you don't. This is not an intellectual life. You're in a fishbowl, like it or not, and you live in front of people, and you must articulate a cogent case for the faith, even when you have none. So I felt my world getting smaller. I was driving down M25 in a car by myself, listening to some CDs, and this singer, this Guy that you may have heard, well, if you're younger, you haven't heard of him. Uh, His name was Steve Green. And he was singing a song called We Believe. And as I listened to the song, I found myself at a critical moment. I could either reason myself to these things Or I could just believe on the revelation of God that they were true, and I would see them later. And as I listened to the song, I had to pull over to the side of the road. This was a critical moment for me. Now I get it. These words aren't for everybody. But they saved my life. You have songs like that. You have verses like that. They saved my life. This is what I heard. We believe in the Father who created all that is. And we believe the universe and all therein is his. As a loving heavenly Father, he yearns to save us all, to lift us from the fall. We believe. We believe in Jesus, the Father's only Son, existing Uncreated before time had begun. A sacrifice for sin, he died and rose again to ransom sinful man. We believe. (laughs) I don't even know what he just said. We believe in the Spirit who makes believers one. Our hearts are filled with his presence. The comforter has come. The kingdom unfolds in his plan, unhindered by quarrels of man. The church upheld in his hand. We believe. And right here is where I pulled over. Though the earth be removed and time is no more, these things are secure, God's word shall endure. Whatever may change, these things are sure. We believe. So if the mountains be cast down into the plain when kingdoms all crumble, this one remains. Our faith is not captive to seasons of men. With our fathers, we proclaim. We believe our Lord will come as he said. The land and the sea will give up their dead. His children will reign with him as their head. We believe. I couldn't prove any of that, and I still can. I made the decision alongside M25 that I was not in a position to know these things. And while I do not believe there is anything such as faith apart from knowledge, There are clearly places reason can't take you alone. You are not in a position to know them yet. You just have to trust the one who said them.